Father, we thank you for the many gifts that you give us, and we thank you for the spiritual discipline of giving in terms of money and all else we give for your kingdom. Amen. Well, evening, Holy Trinity. That's nice. It's not even pantomime season and we're there. We're prepping up with our cold evenings for those responses that everyone loves so much. Um, A while back, I got through this um, terms preaching rotor, I suppose that's what it's called. And it said on one line, Charlie Lament, awake, Ephesians 5, verse 3 to 14. And I wasn't sure if it was a word from Alan or a word from the Lord. But um, I read it and thought, ah, this could certainly be directed towards me. Not everything, but it could be directed. And it might have been a personal smite on Alan's part for the level of holiness he knows that I carry in my life. But actually, I think I'm just part of your series going through Ephesians. (laughs) Just thrown in at random, standard. Well, I'm Charlie Lamon, as Will explained earlier, I'm an ordinance sent from this shining church into the dark area of the East Midlands. They occasionally let me out to speak to some ordinary people, so here I am. Trinity is that. I'll explain later how my addiction for Costa Coffee started, but I spent all week in Costa doing all sorts of college work, prepping a few different sermons here and there, not this one, this was done perfectly in advance, and I've been surrounded by fake cobwebs and spiders all around there, delights to eat, and and on the side of my coffee cup I got a fake spider, and there are hanging skeletons and pumpkins everywhere. And this week, our society has been celebrating the darkness that comes with the Feast of Halloween. And what a perfect passage this is for us today on All Saints Day, a day to celebrate the people of God and the light that Christ brought to our world. Awake is the title of this sermon. This passage is strict, it's hard, it's direct, and it ends with this saying, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up sleeper, Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In a way, this is the gospel in three lines. It's certainly a command that we see from Scripture. Catherine Booth, the wife of William Booth, who started the Salvation Army, said, Many do not recognize the fact as they ought, that Satan has got men fast asleep in sin, and that it is his great device to keep them so. I think there are three main points I want to draw out from this passage. Firstly, that Paul claims that God's people are holy. That's us, as those people. We have an inheritance to expect. And that those people, with that inheritance, are a light unto the world by being light in the Lord. Now, there's some big things here, and I won't have time to theologically work our way through them and work them out in the reality of all of that for us tonight. However, I would like to dive in a little and explain what I think St. Paul 
was going at and getting at and bringing to his readers with these points. When I went to university, I was dropped off at about 10 a.m. on a Saturday. I unpacked within a couple of hours, and I had a whole day ahead of me to get to know my fellow students. I walked out of my bedroom into my flat. No one was there. I walked into the hall common room. No one was there. In fact, there are very few people moving in at that time on that day. They were all waiting till the Sunday, so I was on my own. There were a few people moving in, but I felt it a little bit awkward to go speak to the parents and and say hello and carry their stuff up copious flights of stairs. So I decided that it was my time to explore Nottingham. Now, I've only run, I had only run through the centre of Nottingham, well, run, slowly walked, through the centre of Nottingham once, and all I knew about Nottingham was that there was one place called St Nick's Church that I was to visit on Alan's say-so as the first church I was to have a look at and see if it was for me. So I found that quickly in order that I knew where I was going the day after. From there, I strolled around, and I ended up in a little Costa coffee shop just around the corner. I sat down with a book, which I'm pretty sure was Judy Dench's autobiography at the time, and I had a good couple of hours just digging into her life there. I was home. On that first day in Nottingham, I had a deep sense of belonging in that place. So I went back. I went back after the church service the next day, and then again and again and again. After a while, I started, I was being noticed by the staff. The manager got to know me, and um, she continually asked me to take my feet off her furniture, and therefore we became friends. She ended up handing me an old cardboard box every time at the till, so when I went to see it, I could put it on her upholstery. We found a happy medium there. I got to know them all. Everyone that worked there, they knew me, and I knew them. As essays started to mount, I would be there daily to research and write. It became my office space. Often they would bring me free coffee, and in return, I would collect the old mugs at the end of the day, and I'd do an hour of pot wash for them. To this day, I think I've collected about £40 worth of points on my Costa coffee card. So if anyone fancies a free drink on me, you can do it, but I'm a collector, so I'll carry on and see where we get to. One evening, I was working in Costa, and they barred off the downstairs, which is where I usually sat, and I was sitting there on my own. One of the staff was mopping the floor around me. He stopped, and he asked me what I was doing. I said I was writing a sermon, and I was. He grunted a little, and he carried on. He came back, round with his mop, and he said, so are, are you a Christian? And I went, yes. The tension was building. Oh, he said, I knew there was something odd about you, <laughs> he added. There is that horrible feeling when you know that there's a brilliant opportunity to continue that conversation, but everything in you is stopping you. There's every reason under the sun that's popping out saying it's not quite appropriate here to talk about Jesus. And it all ends up for me in a knot in my stomach. And I pushed past it. Why am I odd? I went for it. Well, there's something about you, 
You come here every day. Everyone likes you. You're always nice. And he carried on with a pile of weird compliments, but with little confidence. He said them over me as he was leaning against his mop. I am a little odd. And many of these things are not always the case that you say. But I speak to you all and get to know you because I think it's important. You see, Jesus, and I carried on into quite a gabbled gospel message. I tried my best. But by the end of that day, by the end of that very long mopping session for him, we chatted through the gospel, we'd read some Bible, and we'd prayed together. You see, his grandmother had prayed with him every night as a child, and he was searching for that again. And he told me that he felt the same around me than as he did with his grandmother when she was alive. There was something odd about us. And I tell that story as a one-off in my life. I do find myself having conversations that are out the ordinary with people. Quite a bit. That one is quite a special one in my heart. I make sure that I pray for more opportunities like that. I do believe that that man was slightly more awoken at that moment. And I'll explain more about that later. But I do feel that the Lord takes people on journeys. And wherever that guy is at now, I do think he's on a journey somewhere. And all we can do and all I can do about that is pray. But as I said earlier, there are three main points in this passage that I want to grapple with. And the first is God's holy people. In verse 3, if you've got your Bibles open on page 1176... Verse 3 says, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. God has an expectation for his people. One which we do all fall from. But with the help of the Holy Spirit we strive for. Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus, as the title of our letter would suggest, and speaks directly in verse 3. But among you, he says to his readers. He's not speaking to all the people of the Roman Empire at that time, but to a small community of Christians within. He is saying, you are to be different. You are to be slightly odd in comparison to that world around you. Sexual immorality is there, it's everywhere, but it's not among you. And there is so much impurity around, but there isn't to be among you. And oh my days, this world is full of greed, but you are not to be driven by greed as God's holy people. Paul addresses those who are set apart as God's people. Elsewhere, in Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 1, he says that he is set apart for the gospel. Paul speaks about the setting apart of God's people in many areas of scripture, often in regard to striving for holiness under Christ and acting differently to this world. Earlier in the same letter, In Ephesians, in chapter 4, verse 24, he says, Put on the new self, created to be 
like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul asks the Ephesians Christians to be odd in relation to their world and their culture, to be something slightly different. Now, Paul is speaking to the Ephesians. Is he therefore speaking to us today? Well, if you're a follower of Christ who stands in the belief that he died for your sin, he rose from the grave, beating death triumphantly, and are sitting here today in relationship with him, then yes, you are part of God's holy people, set apart from all else, and therefore all this is improper for us as God's holy people, along with the Ephesians that Paul is writing to. We should be aiming for holiness on earth. D.L. Moody wrote, it's a great deal better to live a holy life than to talk about it. Lighthouses do not ring bells and fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine. I want to move on to the inheritance that Paul speaks of. In verse 5, he tells us, For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So here again, we see a list of things that can grab our attention, but I think the key to this verse is such a person is an idolater. On preparation for this sermon, I sped over this as just more stuff we shouldn't be doing. Immorality, impurity, greed, no inheritance. If we're like that, brilliant. A little less of inheritance for us in heaven. But slowing down a bit, Paul is emphasising that these things are not just about being naughty. There's serious restrictions to this inheritance. The inheritance of Christ that are to be his people's from now and into eternity. Not just a pretty heaven, but true rights as grace-covered people. Adopted as his children, we get the inheritance of holiness, living in community with him as king for eternity. The inheritance that we get through his forgiveness of sin. The restriction is not the individual sin of greed, or so on, but it's idolatry. Idolatry in general, which often comes out in these three things. Mixing with things that attack our purity, being immoral sexually and greedy. These things become, and perhaps are even from the beginning, worshipping something that is not the Lord. Again, take a look at our world today. These things are not completely gone yet. I may go as far to say that our British culture today is almost entirely built on these values. Success normally means money. And if you have money, I tend to find it means sex. They are goals which we can end up pursuing instead of what Christ wants for us. Paul claims it as idolatry. And they can be idols in the place of God. Idolatry goes further than listed here. We all get caught by things we worship before God. 
One commentator writes, people in their rebellion against the creator remains incurably religious. They seek to satisfy this instinct by making their own deities. They much prefer these lifeless puppets to the one true living God because they allow them to pull the strings. John Wesley said, in his natural state, every man born into the world is a rank idolater. We are people who like to make our own gods because our own gods can be controlled by us. In verse 8, Paul then moves on to the third point that I'd like to make. We are called to be different. We're now different in Christ. We are slightly odd in comparison to all that we turn away from within ourselves. And we are light in the Lord. The first half of verse 8 says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. There's a distinctive change of being here. Our eyes are open. We are light in the Lord. All that is behind us when we are when we are awoken to the reality of Christ our Lord. We are God's holy people with an inheritance, and although once in darkness, we are now light. We are now brought into light from that place of darkness. In response to our second point of idolatry, the end of verse 8 and verse 9 speak into Paul's expectations of these people. Live as children of light, he says, for the fruit of life it consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. We pursue a life that is different and that doesn't go without notice in this world. The fruit from this is not a lack of God's inheritance, but is inheritance beyond our knowledge. As he says in verse 4, God's people are people of thanksgiving. This is the reason why he's brought us out of darkness and we are now light. With different fruit, therefore, because of it. Goodness, righteousness and truth. People spot that in us as God's people. Because it's odd. And I truly believe God has his people of light in the places God wants them. Even if that is an undergraduate in a coffee shop. I certainly didn't go there to be someone special or to prove a point. But as a Christian in that place, I've had a good few situations where people stop and talk. We are to find out what pleases the Lord. When we are awoken, we see truth in places, and that should continue to be our prayer. Verse 11, have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness. Here again, Paul warns us, this is not for us, but he's speaking of the deeds of darkness. We are to step into darkness. We are surrounded by darkness. It's not a call to only hang out in nice places and be with Christians, but to be light within the darkness. Not mixing with its fruit, but being within it. Verse 
We expose this darkness because we are light. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Verse 13, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Let's not be people who sit here with a hard message about our sinfulness and God's goodness and how we should follow that goodness and how awful we are. We as people of God need to be aware of the reality of our salvation through Jesus. The reality of our change from darkness to light. We are to own it in our hearts and be aware of it in our heads. Awake to our influence as God's people in this world. Everything that is illuminated becomes a light. And when you were illuminated out of the darkness, you've become a light. And it happened for me in my heart. And it's happened for us as God's holy people. Our presence changes things. And in verse 14, this is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. In my past, I woke up and I was a sleeper. I rose from the dead with Christ and he shined on me and his light on me affected the world and then people awake because of that light of Christ in me and then they wake up, they rise from the dead And Christ shines on them. That's the story of the church. That's how God has set about his mission here. He's created us as lights to go out and create more. Just last week, I walked into a different Costa. And I came, I know, but I came across the same guy who was mopping the floor those years back. I spotted him. He didn't see me. I got my mozzarella and um, rocket and tomato panini. Got it away. Walked away quickly. I sat down. I started reading. And suddenly I was awoken by him sitting on the sofa next to me. He just started speaking about his home life, his work, his issues with drugs and the police. He carried on and on and on. I stopped him mid-sentence and I said, who do you speak to about this normally? He kind of bowed his head and he just went, no one. I saw you and I just felt I could start talking. And then he said, there's something different about you, Charlie. Charlie. He remembered my name. Praise God that he's working in this world. And I am only one of many people he uses to be a tiny light in this world. This passage woke me up to the influence of God through us and the influence God asks us to have on earth. Charles Finney writes, when sinners are careless and stupid and sinking into hell unconcerned, it's time the church should bestir themselves. 
It's as much the duty of the church to awake as it is for firemen to awake when a fire breaks out in the night in a great city. Our call is to awake ourselves. Then know that we are to proclaim others to awake. And that is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace that you pour over us as your people. Sinless, yes. Caught up in idolatry, yes. Playing with darkness, yes. But Father, we thank you that we are awoken people. That we have an inheritance, Father, of your glory to come. We have the Holy Spirit now, Lord, as a pledge to that inheritance. And Father, we can call ourselves God's holy people because of your grace on us. May we, Lord, be aware. May we, Lord, be seeing, have eyes to see where you want us. And Father, may we sit under your mighty kingship knowing that this is all about you. For your praise and glory. Amen.